Yeah, church, let's go. How are we doing? Uh, 15,000 pounds. Wow. That is, that's incredible. Um, good job. Um, that is kind of a long-standing thing that we have downstairs, underneath the stairs. Uh, if you're new here, there's a hole downstairs to this where the coffee is, and as you're walking back up, there's a big cardboard box that we've been filling with clothes uh, as part of our partnership with Rescue and Redeemed. Um, if you want to know more about their work, Sally's right here. Uh, she would love to chat with you after the service. I don't know if she would. I just put her on the spot. So if you have questions, go ask her regardless. Um, so uh, how many of you have seen Chronicles of Narnia? <clears throat> Beautiful. You know the storyline, right? Uh, like there's three kids. They stumble into this closet, into this alternate universe called Four kids. There's four kids. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, Lucy, Peter. Maybe I don't know the story that well. But I know this part, all right? Uh, this is the whole, my, one of my favorite quotes, maybe the only thing I know about the movie. Uh, you guys just call me out. Is uh, when they are having the conversation early on in the movie at Mr. and Mrs. Beaver's house, right? And they're talking to them, and they're finding out about Aslan, and this parallels the gospel and the kingdom of God and all these things, and Aslan is... The lion is... A lot of answers there. Jesus, right? Jesus. The lion is Jesus. And they ask, is... Aslan's safe. <clears throat> right? I think I'll get this part right. Mr. Beaver said, don't, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I, I was thinking about this quote. We're starting a new series called Dangerous Prayers. And oftentimes, as we live in our lives, we can get consumed by safety. And oftentimes, as we follow Jesus, we often think Jesus is all about safety. Right? Like, take the whole evangelistic message that probably we've all maybe grown up on. What's the overall evangelistic message? There is a bad place and there is a good place. You want to get to the good place, right? You want to get to heaven. That's where you will be safe. Now that's half the evangelistic message because there's this whole, the kingdom of God is here and now and we're invited to be part of that and move that forward thing. But I think as Christians, we can tend to fall in this place where following Jesus is meant to be safe. And I don't know if it's meant to be safe. It's meant to be good. Right? Th think about why, like what's the catalyst that usually brings you into prayer? It's usually when something goes wrong in life, right? Or usually when you need something. 
Like it's times when we get into trouble that we are first inclined to really pray. It's when life doesn't appear safe anymore. Many of us, maybe you've grown up in a Christian home or, or many of us, there's a temptation to pray you know, for the food, bless this food to our bodies you so it can be blessed as it goes in. I, I don't know. Uh, we pray for safety when we travel. We pray that we don't get sick. We, we pray that when our stomach hurts that, that Jesus would take that pain away. We, we pray all these prayers, but it is usually revolved around safety. Anne Lamont says this, uh, often the prayers that we have in life and the prayers that we pray are help, thank you, and wow. And I think that's good and beautiful, but I think if those are the only things you're praying, it tends to fall short sometimes. Our prayers can often just look like, Jesus, help me, I'm in trouble, which isn't a bad prayer. Jesus, please keep us safe. Jesus, please give me the money that I need to live the kind of life that I want to live. Jesus, please let nobody around me and myself get sick, or if they do get sick, Jesus, would you please come in quickly and heal them? Jesus, when there's tension and struggle in my life, I pray that you take it away so my life can be safe and comfortable again. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with these prayers. And these prayers are absolutely essential. But we're entering into this prayer is called dangerous prayers. And they're dangerous because I think if we actually pray them in our lives... Jesus will transform us. And they're prayers that have us step out in vulnerability, have us step out into the places that aren't necessarily safe, but they're the places that are good and transforming if we allow Jesus to be there with us. In church, this will be a three-week series, and I pray that some of these prayers become the prayers that we pray as a church. Some of the prayers that fuel us, some of the prayers that maybe give us different language that we're used to. Some of these prayers that we can look in scripture and go, okay, today I'm going to pray this prayer. Or this situation arises, I'm going to pray this prayer. I pray these prayers become some of the language that we use and pray as a church. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Uh, The first prayer that we're going to look at is from David in the Bible. If you know much about David, you probably know a little bit, even if you didn't grow up in church. David was the shepherd boy who defeated Goliath. David would become king of Israel. And David was classified as a man after God's own heart. We see David's life. It's this tumultuous up and down thing. We see him running from those that are trying to kill him. We see him as king make just horrible decisions. And having someone murdered, we also see that 
he repents and confesses that in Psalm 51. Like there's a lot that we see about David's life throughout scripture. And Psalm 139 is one we're going to look at today. And it's, it's this beautiful, eloquent prayer of David. Psalm 139, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? You did not think I was going to start with that part of the psalm, did you? We'll get, we'll get to the nice, fuzzy, warm part a little later. But it's so interesting because this psalm begins with this intimate language and prayer that David is praying. And it kind of builds throughout. And then towards the end of the psalm, we get hit with this kind of, in my opinion, out of nowhere. Like this psalm is like all great and nice. You put it on a coffee mug in the morning so you can look at it and be like, oh God, you're wonderful. And then out of nowhere, David kind of takes this turn. And he says, God, that you would slay the wicked. Depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you? Some of you, if you've been with us for the last four weeks, you're picking up Jonah vibes right here, right? Where this hatred, Jonah is called to go preach to these people, but he hates them, so he turns and goes the other way. David is in this spot. Where it's literally like he's pouring his heart out to God. He's going, God, I I hate these people. Like, they're my enemies, Historically, we don't exactly know who he's talking about, but I think it's safe to say that maybe these were the Philistines coming and trying to wage war again. This was some enemy that David had that was trying to kill him. So David is sitting here going, I don't like them. They don't follow you like they're horrible people. I don't like them. I hate them. So it leads me to a question. How do you respond when comfort and safety is at risk? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm guessing you don't have, like, armies after you trying to kill you. Maybe you do. If you do, come talk to me. I'd like to know about it. But you probably don't have people that are actively trying to kill you like King David had back in the day. But there are all sorts of other ways that we, our safety and our comfort, often feel threatened. What is your response when that happens? See, I think most of us could identify with David in this spot. David, I I have an enemy too. And it's out there. 
It's that person that I work with or that person on social media or it's that, that those people with a certain political ideology. It's those people, it's that person, it's the people coming at me, it's the people Who is it for you? Who would you classify as your enemy? And you probably wouldn't put it in terms like that, but I think if we boil it all down, we could all identify some people or some things that are our enemy, and how do we respond to that? We've been talking about this through the the series of Jonah, and we'll highlight it one more time here in David's response. How do you pray? You think normally in David's situation, there are people that are trying to kill him. What would you and I normally pray for? We would normally pray for safety, right? Maybe for more guys to be in your army. Maybe for more weapons. Uh, Maybe that God would go and wipe them out so you didn't actually have to fight them. Maybe you would pray that God, please take care of this threat. There's all sorts of things that you and I would pray. God, change their hearts. God, fix them. God, do this. God, do that. Please, whatever it is, take away this anxiety. Take away this pain. Rescue me. Fight on my behalf. Maybe you recognize some of these things as you think about over the last couple of years. Who, if you turn into an enemy... Maybe you've prayed some of those same prayers. Or maybe you've heard others pray those prayers about who they've turned into an enemy. But we see David do something that I think is fairly unique. In this moment, in this circumstance, uh, turn with me to uh, verse 23 and 24 of Psalm 139. David prays this, and we think maybe he's going to pray one thing, but David actually looks in the mirror and looks at himself. His immediate response to these feelings of anger, these feelings of rage, is this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me way into the way everlasting. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Isn't that amazing? God, I hate these people. God, they don't love you. I do love you, and they don't like you, so therefore I'm like justified in not liking them. God, they're trying to kill me. God, there's all these things out there. God, there's all these anger, hatred, all these emotions inside. God, search me. Search my heart, search my thoughts, and let me know if there's any offensive thing in my heart and in my mind It's unique that David doesn't go to the blame game, but instead looks in the mirror and consults with his father and says, God, 
I think my heart might be in a dangerous place right now. I, I need you to search me. Let me know if there's anything offensive in me. I think this is interesting because it's usually not the case. At least in my own life. I don't know about your life. You're probably a better human than I am. But at least in my own life, I I can easily, when a conflict happens, when there's tension, when there's something going on, I can usually get to the place pretty quickly where I'm blaming. It's their fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's, It's my job's fault. It's social media's fault. It's this political party thing's fault. It's this person who doesn't believe in God's fault. It's this person who does believe in God's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's your fault. It's our fault. We can easily get into this cycle where we are blaming everyone for everything. But David didn't do this, did he? See, there's a couple problems with blame. We blame and we get ourselves into an emotional high because we push whatever it is, whatever the tension is, whatever the feeling is, whatever the bad emotion is, off onto somebody else. Well, it's their fault I'm feeling this way. Their fault they posted this. Their fault they said this. And then that becomes a narrative that you can write over and over and replay in your head a million times if you wanted to. There's another problem with blame is it relieves us from any responsibility in whatever the issue is. Their issue, their fault, so I don't have to do anything about it. Think of the last couple years. I think it's pretty safe to say that we've all struggled emotionally in some way or another. Who'd you blame for that? Who did you blame when you didn't feel safe, when you didn't feel comfort, when someone didn't agree with you? Who did you blame? And what was your response? I would imagine that most of us followed what David's response maybe could have been or should have been. God fix them. God change them. God deal with it. It's not my problem. It's their problem. But I think David's prayer is profound. God, search me. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Test me. And deal with whatever ugliness you find inside. That is a profoundly different way to respond to tension, to issues, to conflict than what our natural tendencies are. 
Now, why would David have this response? I think it's interesting because if you go back to the beginning of the psalm, you start to understand David's relationship with God. And it's really quite interesting because you see throughout the psalms that there is struggle with God being so distant, so far away, with God not responding. Like, I love the psalms because it, it plays out the best and the worst. It plays out when God is present and things are going fine, and it plays out when it feels like God is absent and things are not going fine. Like, if you want to feel, read the psalms, and you will find whatever emotion it is that you feel in the psalms, reflected in the scriptures. But David starts this by saying this about God. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He then goes on to say, there's no running from the Spirit. Your Spirit is always with me. He then goes on to say that you knit me together in my mother's womb like you know how many hairs are on my head. Like David is creating and and talking about this intimate relationship with God. I think that's why he can pray the later verses. Because he knows his relationship with God. He knows God knows the words on his mouth before he even says them. He knows, he knows his thoughts. He's, it's this intimate connection, this intimate relationship. And it can even stand David's brutal honesty about where his heart and mind are. So what does that mean for us? God's not afraid of your darkest thoughts. God's not afraid of your deepest struggles. The things that you would tell no one else, you can tell God. See, we get that David isn't afraid to share his heart and his thoughts with God because he understands that God can make his way into the dark crevices, the dark shadows of our hearts. And when we allow God to do that, that's the place of transformation. That's the place of growth. David's view of his relationship with God impacts his prayers. To the point when he can say, I'm angry, I'm filled with hate, God search me. You know me where there's broken places in my heart and in my mind, please mend them, transform them, change them. See, I think there's a couple tendencies at play here, and I'll work through these pretty quickly. There's a lot more to say about them. 
but there's a lot, uh, some tendencies here that I think go beneath the surface that we have to bring up in order to really get to the place where we can pray a prayer like this. One is your personality. Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? What's your disc profile? What's your strength finder? What's your Myers-Briggs? Or if you're a solid Christian, what's your Enneagram number? Some of you are like, what's an Enneagram? Just ask somebody who's smiling right now and they'll let you know. I'm a seven with an eight wing. I'm a one with a two wing. I'm a four, so I just feel straight emotion all the time. See, I'm all about learning about personality. I I think it's very useful, very helpful in understanding how you function, how your brain works, how you respond to tension and conflict. (coughs) But your personality can also be the thing that trips you up. And then you see in some circles, well, I do this because I'm introverted. Or I do this, I'm not good at this because I'm extroverted. Or I respond this way in a very unhealthy, toxic way to you because I'm a seven and I don't know how to deal with my emotions. Or on the strength finders, like my, my strength isn't feelings, so that gives me liberty to do whatever I want to do. It's a natural tendency that we kind of fall into that kind of trips us up. The second natural tendency is our emotions. See, we need to pay attention to our emotions. Sorry. Our emotions are signal gauges on the dashboard. They alert us to what is wrong. Someone once said, don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. We need to observe our emotions, see why we're there. Oftentimes we get in the place where we completely ignore our emotions or try to shut them off. We walk around and we don't even know or understand why we are feeling what we're feeling. We're just reacting. In the psalm, 139, we see David is very attuned to his emotions. He knows why he's feeling what he's feeling. He can phrase it. He can pray it. He can talk to God about it. In the cry of the soul, they put it like this. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. And reality is where we meet God. It's important that we feel our emotions, we recognize our emotions, we process our emotions in our emotionally healthy course that we're doing right now. It talks about being differentiated emotionally. Differentiation is the ability to think clearly and carefully as another means besides our feelings and emotions of knowing ourselves and knowing the world around us. It's the ability to hold on to who we are and who we are not. The third natural tendency that usually trips us up is just our sinful nature. It's, a, it's the muck and the mire that we get caught in. I know we don't like to wor- use the word sin. We don't like anyone telling us that we're sinning. We don't like to admit that we're sinning. But we have a shadow side. 
And Jeremiah talks about the heart is deceitful above all things. Ephesians says it like this. You once were following the ways of the world. But God rescued and redeemed you, raised you up so you can live according to a different way of life. Unchecked emotions, unchecked view of your own personality, unchecked sinful nature can tend to run the show with us. And it's important that we check those three categories. And we see David checking those three categories of saying, look, yeah, it might be my personality that I feel this way, I'm definitely emotional, um, but God, search me. I just think this is profound. Search me. Know my heart. Know my mind. Search, examine all the dark corners of my heart. Search and examine all the things I'm going to say. Search and examine all the things that I'm thinking right now. And if there's anything offensive in me, anything that is not of you going in your direction, Jesus, I pray that you transform it in me. There's three questions that I want us to process in the end here, and you can write them down and go home and think about them. But there's three questions that I think help us get to the place where we can be aware and get to the place where we can pray this prayer. And it's even what you can think through as you pray this prayer. What have people been trying to tell me that I refuse to hear? Or what have the people closest to me been trying to tell me that I refuse to hear? It's often those things that, that I think we, we start hearing a theme in our life. And I think that's one of the ways that God works through close friends that are following Jesus, through family members. That's one of the ways that I think that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, points things out in your life that need to be transformed and brought to Jesus. And consider yourself blessed if you have people in your life that are willing to tell you these things. But pay attention to phrases like, my experience of you is usually this. Like when you're in this situation, I usually experience this and it's not a good feeling. I I see this issue continually tripping you up. Pay attention when people say things like that to you. The next question, what do you continually rationalize? Ah, it's a tough one, isn't it? What do I continually rationalize? Ah, everybody does it. 
Nobody knows. It's not hurting anybody. This gets me that, so I'm going to keep doing it. It's no big deal. It's part of my personality. I can't help it. There's all these little traps that we fall into that we begin to rationalize why we do what we're doing. And it's a signal to us and everybody around us that we know we're headed down a path that we maybe don't need to go down. And really this is a prime place when you start to rationalize to go, hold, hold up. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go back to this Psalm 139 prayer and I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray, search me, O God. Because this is not of you. I need you to help me look at it. I need you to help me transform it. And then the last question, where am I most defensive in life? So where, when that person says that thing, do you feel all of your emotions and energies rise up like you're about to go into a war? Where is that for you? Because that's a signal. I want to give us some space. I want to leave these questions up here. And I want to pray this prayer with us. Worship team can come up. I want to give you just a minute to just sit in these questions, in this prayer. So get comfortable. Close your eyes if you need to do that to focus. Maybe you want to write something down right now or, or search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Jesus, if there's any offensive way in me, I pray that you meet me there and you transform the dark places in my heart with your light. Amen.